Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. And God caught on gothic ceilings, the most ornate in the world. What a sight, what a privilege to feel those heights. But my prayer stayed up there spinning. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's a blind always comes at the most frightening time to make sure you won't forget. So today, yeah. we're going to talk about some of the things, I don't know, that we learned from transitioning from a writing group who was really focused on words on a page to a storytelling organization where you're actually delivering those words to an audience. And what are the kinds of things that you need to consider to move from one to the other? And this is especially um, noteworthy here because Paul was, I guess you were wrapping up your novel, The Mm -hmm. Walking Man, Mm -hmm. at this time. You were kind of in edits when we started started Stories We Don't Tell. Is that right? I think so, yeah. So you adapted a lot well you adapted a lot of your life into the novel Mm -hmm. is that right yeah yeah so for me it was a little bit challenging at first to go from when we were in our writing group and not thinking not having to think about that and then all of a sudden you're like oh there's like beats and there's if you have you know funny stuff in there or whatever you have to really feel the audience in some kind of way yeah i think the other thing that's interesting uh is we've actually seen a a change in some of the people who've done multiple stories uh, mm-hmm. that I think I think all of us as performers have actually improved since the first uh, first since the first event. Uh, it's just you know the nature of you doing something over and over again. You start to you learn things and you and you can get more adaptable and you sort of get more used to sort of how you're feeling. Um, but it's in, interesting that that you know that really all of these things are a skill. And then even though even though we are, I would say we're a more literary uh, storytelling event. Uh, much more than sort of some of the other events that are very, very performance-based. And, you know, a lot of the stories that are being told at other events because they don't allow notes are are stories that they've, the, the people have worked on their head in a very much sort of stand-up comedian-esque way, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, most stand-up comedians don't have their entire joke written out word by word. You know, they have this idea and they know how to riff off of it. And they have their beats that they hit as a part of their stories, but they don't have every single thing written down. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I find so interesting about, sort of, so I think that, that's something you notice, especially in some of the stories you hear. Uh, there are specific storytellers uh, in our that show up at our event that are very literary stories, uh, and there and there's little turns of phrase, or there's little things about it that are only can exist if they were written down in sort of maybe not necessarily right off a page, but they were written down first because that's the, no one would you don't come up with it's not they're written they're read it in written in a way that you don't speak mm-hmm. uh and whether or not that's a that's just a different thing some people like it probably some people don't but it's interesting to sort of hear the difference in the actual stories themselves mm-hmm. uh when you know they were written first so for me a big thing also was since i pulled a, a story out of the out of the book i'm like oh i have to like figure out how to give some kind of context and for what's happening because you have a whole other thing you can explain what's going on they know what's happening but we only have we have a time limit of 10 minutes so 
in that 10 minutes, you have to kind of get everything out enough so that people just know where you are in the story and how to do it. And it's uh, so that can be kind of that was a little challenging for me anyways. And I think that even if it even if it hadn't come from a book, we find this when people bring their their first drafts a lot that and, and we do this too, actually, that you kind of write because you're writing factually about your own life. You include like all of the people that are a factor of the, in the story. You'll give them a little bit of a bio or you need to explain. And on paper, that makes sense, because when you're when you're reading something on paper, it's really easy to notice kind of an interjection. Mm-hmm. So you can see like and then Paul like M dash who is sitting across the table from me at this moment, M dash, like you, you have visual cues, but mm-hmm. when you start throwing in all those interjections verbally while you're per- performing or telling a story, it becomes really hard to track and that's really confusing. So there's this thing about like, what can you remove and, and stay true to the story? And also what can you uh, blend together and stay true to the story? Well, and, and I, it's something that comes up a lot, I think in, in the writing workshops that we do of, uh, there might be something in the story that is really important to you for that to when you're telling that story but then again bringing in the performance element of it in that all of a sudden you're sitting in front of an audience that does, doesn't know anything about you it's not important to them you know or it might not be important to them so it's uh it is something that you have to let go of certain details that seem important to you at the time anyways or or even uh, I've had a couple times where I've had to cut the thing that was the whole story. Yeah. You know, I've started stories where I've written, you know, I had a paragraph that sort of set the entire thing off. And then three quarters of the way through the sort of workshop in the story, you're like, no, you have to get rid of that part. And you're like, Mm -hmm. but that's the entire story. (laughs) Yeah. Why would you make me do that? Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. but then 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 when you go back to it, you're like, oh, I understand. Like the story's evolved. it, It is now a functionally different story. Well, I even remember there was there was one, I think it was, um, I don't remember which story of yours it was, Brianne, but you were writing a story, and then you kind of just, for you're like, oh, I need to work something, this part out, and you wrote something that was connected to it, but not really part of the story, and then everyone kind of went, oh, that's that's the story in some way. That was an essay that I wrote about, it was about my dad, and about legacy, and about all this stuff, and I... I, I was really, I mean, I think I probably still am. This is part of the problem is these things become so precious to you. Mm-hmm. So I was really like in love with the structure of it. And I was really happy with the writing. But whenever I read it out loud, it just felt really flat. Mm. I think the exercise that I did was trying to figure out, okay, well, what is the part? First of all, it wasn't really, it, was, it wasn't really a story that was about me. And so I wasn't emoting. <laughs> like I didn't have a lot of feelings in it. And then... So I did an exercise to just try to figure that out. Like, how could I tell this story to just find what's at the, actually at the heart of it for me, mm. and, of a story instead of an essay? Mm. And, and that, like you were saying, I think I brought, I brought my essay revisions and then I brought this little story nub. And mm. it was so clear. It was so clear to me. It was so clear to everyone in this room that like, this is the one that I'm, I have feelings about, that, I'm, that I have feelings while I'm expressing. And what I think we've learned is that's, that's what people connect to. Mm-hmm. So there's something really great about these precious essays and I think that they have value I mean they definitely have value I think there would be value in sharing it there's all kinds of stuff around that but not Mm -hmm. you don't reading them out loud to an audience you don't bring anything to them yeah and so that's something now I think that we end up telling people a lot is is uh, we ask people to kind of if they're not sure where to start uh we'll be like well just 
write it out chronologically. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you have this thing, you know, the meat of what you want to explore, but write it out chronologically. And then I bet that this will be the first time that you've thought about it that way. And I bet that you'll start feeling feelings mm. at one point in the story. And then that's the thing that you need to write. So instead of glossing over that, which is what you would do if you were telling it to somebody, I don't know, at a party or over lunch or something, like don't gloss over it, write just that part. Mm-hmm and then write it again about just the part where you have feelings. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that's a big difference. Perhaps I wasn't being as supportive as I should have been because I kept trying to support her in whatever capacity she needed, or so I thought. It's a problem of mine. I tend to lose my, a sense of myself in a relationship. I've always tried to give that person all they needed when what they really needed was me. What I like about the workshops and the writing group and everything, and especially it, it connects to this story, I think, um, that we're going to be including on this episode uh, that I told at that first event, I just remember it was about a relationship of mine and uh, just something wasn't working and everybody was just like, I don't, which has come up with me before and other, uh, since then in other stories is, I don't know, we don't know how you feel about this. And so it's just like, it seems like a pretty uh, simple idea, but once you, I don't know, once you start kind of going at that and kind of really thinking about it and trying to build that into the story, then it kind of, it does come alive in some way. Yeah. And I think I I had a very similar, uh, story basically, uh, and a story arc, uh, of another, of of also the ending of a, of a relationship where I'd sort of can't come, I'd come to the group with a, with a piece that was basically a chronological account of, of a relationship. Uh, and, and I'd sort of come out again. It was it was flat. It was the sort of thing where I was like, and then you know, Brian asked the question. She always asks, "Is why why do you care? What does this matter?" And sort of it was interesting that like both of us were trying to get, we're trying to sort of explain to people what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the real question is was why do you care? And it, or, and and so you had to include the parts of being like, no, this was great. Mm-hmm. Like you ha- like for people to care about it being over, you had to include why it was great mm-hmm. and how it you know in. in like that's not that's not how people tell breakup stories. Yeah. No one. That's not how. That's like if you're telling a breakup story to a person at a bar or your friend of yours, you don't spend five minutes saying how great they were. Yeah. Because uh, that would be weird. <laughs> uh, but when you're doing this kind of storytelling, it's it's required. Yeah, because they need to know why you care. Like you're saying, why are you telling the story? And I think that something that plays into that that people really um, struggle with at first is it's, it's not just why do you care, but it's, it's why should we in the audience care? Mm -hmm. So if you want me to understand why this was devastating or whatever the feeling is that you're going to talk about, then I have to understand how in love you are. Mm -hmm. So for breakup stories, that was, it wasn't, I don't even think that's, I didn't think I asked you why you cared either of you, but definitely not you, Stefan. I was just like, why did you care about her? Mm-hmm. So it's not why is the story important. It's why is this why is this person important? Because right now they're not, and it, like the story is about you, but it's about why they were so important to you. And if you don't give that to the audience, if you don't give that to me as a listener, then I'm not going to care. Mm-hmm. Like it, breakup stories are are flat, and like we've all had breakups, so we all kind of know. Like 
we can map, we talk about this a lot, like we can map our own experiences onto them. So we can imagine how devastating our last breakup was and then whether or not it was devastating, that's what we're gonna take away. Or you can take us through like one moment that you had with this person that really, they really felt great that we'll relate to and then we'll understand what you're losing. Mm-hmm. And I think that people, we all uh, struggle with this thing of like, how do you, if you're gonna talk about other people, how do you talk about them honestly? And, and we talk about that a lot on the flip side. So if it's a story where somebody else looks bad, how do you kind of treat that? Mm-hmm. And that, that is hard, but it's also, if it's a story where you, you part ways with someone, how do you honor the fact that they also, they also sometimes looked good? Mm-hmm. And that's really challenging. And you look bad sometimes. Yeah. The voice spoke as though it was down in a well, or in this case, a box. You get close to things, but not too close. You claim to be vulnerable and sensitive, but you lack the ability to let anyone into who you actually are, because that opens up the possibility of causing pain. So, getting getting back to the, the performance, kind of, uh, element to it. I it was very it's very interesting to me because I've sort of developed my own process in doing this, and uh, I learned for me it was funny because in this story uh, that uh, this like I said I didn't hadn't really done a lot of this before, but I thought some of it was funny. I think I tried to I practiced it or I told it to you guys like a few days before, and nobody laughed. And then I was really, really worried that it was not going to be funny anymore, or it wasn't funny. In reality, you guys, we just had all heard these stories um, a bunch of times by that point. So it's like, you're not going to keep laughing at the same thing you've already heard. You know what's coming. An interesting lesson we learned about just, say, facilitating an event like this is the kind of curating of how it goes. And, like, we're actually trying to, or we're very conscious of, like, managing kind of the flow of the event and then and not uh you know leaving the audience with like we get into some very people are very vulnerable they're very emotional they're very hard stories but we're we're also careful not to uh leave them let them walk out into the night feeling <laughs> depressed after all of these stories yeah and so this is so your story was actually last yeah uh on this on, the, on our first event mm-hmm. uh which and, we, and, and because it, you know, it was basically the goal was, well, let's have something, something lighter, something that has a little bit of humor to it. And it's, 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 it was remarkable. And it was, it was interesting to how much we learned from that experience, just how much people wanted to laugh by uh-huh. the end of and what we kind of so needed to a little and bit. Need, it was <laughs> very much needed to like, and I think, you know, we, we like, I, we punched you in the gut with some of these stories and to not give them the release at the end, I think would, would, would be kind of cruel. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, the 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 last thing to me about uh, again the, the bringing the performance element into it and and sort of creating this this event. One of my favorite things is uh, is from that first event afterwards, how engaged the people the the audience was, and there was there's kind of like a f- an, a great dialogue that happens where I really felt people weren't coming up and saying. Um, oh, thank you. That was really, that was great. They usually are coming up to you and saying, oh yeah, this happened to me. And, or they, so it opens up like a dialogue with the audience. 
just as an example, this story that I tell, um, a, a dildo is featured very prominently in it. And a mutual friend of ours came up to me afterwards uh, and said, I've got my own dildo story that I'll, I'll tell you someday. And then he walked away. And I was like, that's great. That's the kind of, I just, that's, I want a, a back and forth with the audience. And have you heard that story yet? No, I haven't. <laughs> Oh, okay. Thank you, Stefan. Um, I'm a little nervous about what I'm going to say, but that's okay. We'll see what happens. Um, my girlfriend and I were not doing well at the time. She had gotten a job in her sort of chosen field. I say sort of because... What she wanted to do was work creatively, but instead, due to a variety of reasons, she started working at a large firm downtown in the financial district. This seemed the opposite of what she wanted to, which would make her happy, and she seemed pretty miserable from the start. Perhaps I wasn't being as supportive as I should have been because I kept trying to support her in whatever capacity she needed, or so I thought. It's a problem of mine. I tend to lose my, a sense of myself in a relationship. I've always tried to give that person all they needed when what they really needed was me. And if you weren't aware, this can create a certain uh, emotional unbalance between two people. Eighteen and a half months seems to be my general limit for relationships. <laughs> and we were quickly approaching this expiry date. My feeling was that she should take the job and still pursue her creative endeavors. But she felt she needed to make a choice, felt overwhelmed and frustrated by her job. These feelings of frustration, of course, bled into our relationship. I never wanted to be with someone where the other person harbors resentments, uh, buries them deep down, both of us waiting for them to surface in passive-aggressive ways. But a relationship ebbs and flows, has peaks and valleys and all that crap. Our lives are changing and change is a good thing. We are evolving alongside each other, all that stuff. She didn't feel quite the same way. I admit that our day-to-day -day passion for each other did feel different, but our sex life seemed pretty healthy. Claiming she wanted to practice more on her own for both our benefits, she talked about buying a dildo. Maybe this was a sign that things weren't so good, but I took it at face value. After all, this was something that she wanted us to do together, kind of like a team-building exercise. <laughs> so we shopped online for the right one, Shopping for dildos was definitely a new experience for me. There were wooden ones that made me think of splinters. One called the silver bullet, which made me think of werewolves. And she finally settled on a more traditional model. And since she lived with her parents, she had it delivered to my house. The dildo arrived a week later, and I removed it from the postal packaging. It looked larger than the picture on the website. I kept it in the box and wanted her to handle it, so I placed it in, in the corner of my home office. It's strange having a dildo in your office. It makes you feel insecure. So a few days later, I was working away. Uh, working from home has its definite advantages, as I often take conference calls in my pajamas. 
But sometimes working alone and not speaking with anyone for a day or two can make your mind do funny things. You love her, that's the problem. A voice came from the other side of the room. I looked around and saw no one. This situation with her work is bullshit. You're scared and afraid, and when you're afraid, you make excuses. You look for ways to remove yourself from potentially hurtful experiences. How very childish and immature. So the voice seemed to be coming from the dildo. <laughs> and I understand how this sounds, but sometimes the unexplainable combined with a poor mental state can make anything plausible. The voice spoke as though it was down in a well, or in this case, a box. You get close to things, but not too close. You claim to be vulnerable and sensitive, but you lack the ability to let anyone into who you actually are, because that op opens up the possibility of causing pain. You're even intimidated by my presence, and I'm an inanimate object. <laughs> the dildo laughed, and there was a darkness in that laugh. But I'm not finished yet, it said. This inability to let anyone in, to actually be, be intimate in a completely authentic way, has crippled you. <laughs> I'm not here because of a lack, a lack of desire. I'm here because she's at a loss with you, just like all the others. She tried. She really did, but she reached the 18 and a half month limit. And being with you is like being with someone who's not there. The more you continue like this, the more the cycle will never be broken and you will begin to spend more time on your own claiming you don't need anyone else. You'll become bitter and old and mumble at young couples walking blissfully hand in hand down the street. Go home to your hungry man microwave dinners and never leave your house and die alone and your lonely body won't be found until the smell is noticed a week later by your whispering neighbors. <laughs> a few months later my girlfriend called me and wanted to talk. We rarely spoke on the phone, either saw each other in person or wrote te or texted each other. After a 20-minute conversation, she broke up with me. I got no real explanation, no real anything. I can honestly say it was the first time I really had a physical reaction to the end of a relationship. I actually felt it in my chest. And like the weak person I sometimes think of myself as, I simply accepted what she said with no fight or anything. I had a bottle of champagne sitting in my pantry for a special occasion. And holding it in my hands, I thought of that dildo. <laughs> During those 20 minutes on the phone, I popped open the champagne. Even though we have never spoken since that phone call, I came to understand why she broke up with me. It would take a while, and the person I am now compared to that night when I was sipping champagne and getting dumb feels completely different. But that's an entire other story. What I'm really trying to say is the dildo had a point. <laughs> You can find us online at thereapers.org because we are in the life-collecting business. Today's episode of Stories We Don't Tell was brought to you by Triangulator. Trust friends, not algorithms. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. Thank you for listening <laughs> to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast. <laughs>